Hello, this is Brett Martin from Chesbro Baptist Church. And this morning we're taking a little bit of break from our series on the life of David entitled Encouraged. And we're preaching from Acts chapter 5 this morning. And the title of the message is We Serve an Unstoppable God. Please enjoy. Acts chapter 5 this morning, Acts chapter 5, we've been going through a series in the life of David, going through the book of Psalms. However, we're going to take a little break from that this morning, and I'm going to preach something that the Lord laid on my heart, and uh, so we'll go back to our series next Sunday, but uh, preach on something a little different today, Acts chapter 5. If you have your places in Acts chapter 5, I'm going to ask you one last time if you're physically able to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. Acts chapter 5, and if you'll go down to verse number 38, we're going to read two verses this morning. Acts chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. The Bible says, And now I say unto you, Refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. The title of the message this morning is We Serve an Unstoppable God. We serve an unstoppable God. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come to you in prayer, begging for your guidance and your power, begging for clarity of mind and open heart, we can listen to the word of God and let it wash over us and change us this morning. Be with this service this morning. For as it's in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite sights to see is a sunrise. I love to see a sunrise. And I can remember... The very first time I had ever seen a sunrise, I was probably 12 years old, maybe a little younger. It was around 12, 13. And I was at my dad's house one weekend, and I had one of the worst earaches I could ever remember. I think I got some Bogachita water up in there. And uh, I, was, I had a really bad earache, and the only way I could get relief was to lay my head on a heating pad. But it was so awkward that there was no way I was going to get any sleep. So I just stayed up all night watching infomercials. If I could have had the money, I would have bought some Ginsu knives. And so um, I'm up watching, and I can't sleep. And I remember, I was like, man, the sun's about to come out. And I went outside, and I watched the sun come up. And I love watching the sun come up. Now, the only time I'm going to watch a sunrise now is when I go hunting. That'll, I'll watch the sunrise then, but other time I'm going to be in the bed. But, uh, you know, I love watching the sunrise. But if I could this morning, let me put a hypothetical scenario out, scenario out to you. If we could suspend disbelief and we could suspend logic, let me put this hypothetical question to you, this hypothetical scenario. Let's say tomorrow morning the U.S. government got out of bed and said, you know what, we don't like the sunrise anymore. So what we're going to do is we're going to put 
trillions and trillions of dollars and millions and millions of man hours into projects to ensure the sun doesn't rise anymore because we're tired of it. You know what would happen? What would happen is the U.S. government would waste a lot of man hours and they waste a lot of money because it wouldn't matter how many projects they started. You can't stop the sunrise because it's unstoppable. The next day is going to come. That sun is going to come up no matter what you do, no matter how hard you complain, no matter how much money you spend, that sun is going to come up and there's nothing you can do about it. So here we are in Acts chapter 5. We have the early church. The church is still an infant. The church is very young still here in chapter 5. The church is still brand new. And, and so far, it seems like things are on the right track. Let's look at, uh, look at verse number 12. We're going to read through a good portion of this chapter this morning. Look back at verse number 12 in chapter 5. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now, um, to me, that sounds like the church is on the right track. I mean, there's signs going on. There's wonders going on. The people are even all in the same accord. You know, some would say that the fact that the church was all in one accord was a bigger miracle than the signs and the wonders, you know? But all the church was in one accord and everybody was, was on the same page and doing the same thing. Um, but you know, that's not to say that uh, everything was hunky-dory. You see, everybody in the church was happy, but there were some people that weren't happy everything was going good. There were some people that weren't happy that everything was clicking right along. Skip five verses down to verse number 17. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. These people were angry that the church was going good. These people were filled with fury at the fact that the church was clicking right along and they were doing signs and wonders and they were all in one accord. Everything was clicking right along, but it made some people very unhappy. We're going to go through chapter 5 in Acts this morning. And what I want to share with you this morning is I want to share with you three truths. And what these three truths are is these are three truths that concern people who follow an unstoppable God. If you follow an unstoppable God, then these three truths apply to you. Now we're going to jump right into it this morning. Three truths for people who follow an unstoppable God. Jumping right into it, truth number one. Truth number one, for people who follow an unstoppable God, they will face hostility. They will face hostility. At uh, the beginning of chapter 5, we see that the church had some internal problems. There were a couple people in the church named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, they, uh, uh, they stole from God. They held back something that was supposed to go to God. And as punishment for that, God took their lives. Now, when two people in the church drop dead, uh, that's going to cause some inner turmoil. 
Okay, there's going to be a little section in the church newsletter about that. Okay, that's going to cause some church turmoil. So needless to say that the church wasn't completely free of internal problems. But it seems through chapter five, they had kind of that was at the beginning of chapter five. By the time we get to verse 12, they'd kind of hashed out all their problems. And once again, they were all in the same page again. And they were all on the same page and they were all of one accord. Now, let me tell you from a pastor's standpoint. And I've been a pastor now for some, a few years, so I'm starting to get where I can make these kind of statements. Nothing is of more relief to a pastor than a people that's all of one accord. Nothing is a greater relief to a pastor than a people that's all on the same page, that's all singing the same tune. Man, it makes me just want to hop, skip, and jump, you know? Come on, you know, just do, do my little dance. And, you know, it just makes me want to do that because when we're all on the same page and everything's going good, man, it's just, it makes a pastor happy. But then we come to verse 17, however. We've worked through our internal problems. And once we get the internal problems hashed out, now we have external problems. Now we have external problems come into the church. Let me read for you 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, I'll admit, and I'll be the first one to admit, we don't see this much in America. We don't. A lot of times in America, we have a cozy Christianity. Cozy Christianity. We float away on flowery beds of ease. But let me tell you something. When you look at the world as a whole, you look at the world as a whole and the number one targeted religion on this planet is Christianity. The number one targeted and persecuted uh, religion on this planet is Christianity. You don't see much about it in the news because they're not going to report on it much. But over the last year and a half, there have been two or three massive genocidal killings of Christians in Nigeria. I have a very good friend. His name is Matt Holmes. He's been in Nigeria as a missionary for about 15, 16 years now. He started a church. He's planted churches. He's got Bible colleges all through the country. And every time I hear about these Christian massive killings in Nigeria. I feel, I feel bad for my friend. And every time, every time I, I text him, I, I message him on Facebook and ask him how he is, if it was close to him, and the first couple times he says it was not close to us, it was not close to us. The last time it happened, he said, Brett, none of my church members died, but they had family members that died which means these killings are getting closer and closer to him. And I fear for him. Because let me tell you something, Christianity is a persecuted religion. In this world, people, a lot of people don't like it. And you know, the body of people that was persecuting the apostles here was known as the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin they ruled from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And I'll tell you, it was a rare thing. It was a, not saying it didn't ever happen. 
But it was a rare thing for the whole Sanhedrin to meet at the same time. Oh, there would be groups of Sanhedrin meet over here and a group would meet over here, but not everybody would show up. But it was a rare thing for the whole Sanhedrin to meet at the same time. The Sanhedrin was mainly made up of two different groups. The first group is you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the very conservative group. And the Pharisees, they obeyed the letter of the law in so much that they would take one verse out of the law and they would write two or three chapters interpreting that one verse. Okay, that's how, that's how to the letter of the law the Pharisees were. The next group of people that made up the Sanhedrin were the Sadducees. The Sadducees was the liberal group. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. And so they were the very liberal, liberal group. Both of these groups were enemies of God's people. And isn't it funny? Isn't it just funny how enemies of God will find a way to coexist when it comes to persecuting his people. Enemies of God will find a way to live under one. I mean, these two groups couldn't have had different views, but they came together in the guise to fight against God's people. They, find, they found a way to coexist. Isn't that funny? Now, in verse 17, I want you to see that this group was filled with indignation. These people were angry. These people were mad. Why were they filled with so much anger? Why were they filled with so much rage and hatred and indignation? What did the church do? Back at verse number 16. There came also the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks uh, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they healed everyone. I mean, the church was meeting the physical needs of the people. The church was meeting the spiritual needs of the people. Why so much anger? Why so much indignation? Well, I'll tell you, number one, uh, the reason why the Sanhedrin was, was uh, why, the number one reason why they were filled with indignation is because they were jealous. They were jealous. They said, we should be the one healing those folks. We should be the one casting out those demons. Not y'all. Not your little rinky-dink group. Y'all don't need to do that. Hey, that, that's our job. It's our job to heal the sick. It, it, it's our job to cast out devils. Then you know what? They were jealous. They were jealous. You know what the antidote for jealousy is? Humility. Humility. But they had too much pride. They were not about to let up on their jealousy. They had too much pride. Another reason is because they hated the name of Jesus. They hated the name of Jesus. Back in chapter 4, they had already told these apostles once to quit preaching. Back in Acts chapter 4, they told them to stop. And the reason why they told them to stop is because Jesus offends me. Jesus offends me. Let me tell you something about the society in which we live in today. We live in offended society. We live in a society with some thin-skinned folks. And the absolute worst thing you can do is offend someone. You can hang a baby from a noose in a basement and get 10 years probation. 
That's a true story. But you can offend someone and your entire life will be ruined. And you might even see jail time. We live in an offended society today. Do you know what microaggression is? Microaggression is when you offend somebody, but you don't know you've offended them. And a lot of times, the person you offended is offended on behalf of somebody else. That's microaggression. And so, what we, so let me give you a story. There was this university, and uh, they decided it was on a Wednesday at the college, and they were going to bring a camel to the college. Everybody knows the Geico commercial, Mike, 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 Mike. Guess what day it is, Mike? Hump day. We all, we all know that commercial. And so that's what they were trying to do. And uh, they were saying, look, we're going to bring the camel up there on a Wednesday during lunch. It'll break up the day. It'll boost morale. We'll let the students take pictures of it, take rides on it, take selfies with it, pet it. And it'll just be something to break up the day. It'll boost a little morale. It got close to the day they were going to do it. And a couple people on the board nixed it. And the reason why they nixed it is because it might offend Middle Eastern people. Man, go find a safe space somewhere and be quiet. Bunch of pansies. I tell you what. You know, we live in an offended society today. But let me give you a truth here. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Let me read for you Galatians 5.11. And I, brethren, if yet I preach circumcision, what do I, why do I yet serve for persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. The gospel is offensive. When you go up to someone and say, your God can't take you to heaven, your religion can't take you to heaven, your priest can't take you to heaven. The only person that can take you to heaven is Jesus. And if it ain't Jesus, you're going to go to hell. That's offensive. That's offensive. Let me tell you something, though, about the offensive gospel. This is an offense that we must bear. This is an offense that we must bear. It's an offense that we're supposed to bear. It's an offense that we're meant to bear. Why? Why are we meant to bear this offense? Well, it's, the reason is truth number two. Truth number two, the gospel gives clarity. The gospel gives clarity. Let's read verses 17 and 18. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, let me tell you something. No one likes to experience hostility. No one likes to experience hostility. Hostility is confusing. Hostility is disheartening. Hostility is off-putting. Hostility can, uh, uh, it can mess up your day, it can throw off your game. No one likes hostility. You know, that, you know it, it, let me tell you, hostility is not a fruit of the Spirit, okay? Some, there may be some, uh, you know, we may have known some church members in the past that thought hostility was a fruit of the Spirit, but it ain't. It, it is not a fruit of the Spirit, 
Okay? No one likes hostility. So after the apostles experienced this hostility, after they had hostility thrown upon them by being thrown in jail, what exactly then uh, were they to do? What were they instructed to do after they experienced this hostility? Verses 19 through 20. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple. Go speak in the temple. After they experienced hostility, what were they told to do? Go speak. Go speak. Go speak the gospel. Colossians 1.23 if ye continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to you, to every creature which is under heaven. After they experienced this hostility, they were told to go speak the gospel. Three, verse number 21. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning. Now, when it says they entered into the temple early in the morning, that word early means that they got there before the sun came up. They got there before the sun rose. You see, they, they got there, uh, they got to the, so if they got there before the sun rose, that means they got there before the temple opened. The temple would not open until the sunlight hit the steps of the temple. The sun would come up over the Mount of Olives and the sun would shine and the light would hit the temple steps. As soon as the light hit the temple steps, then they would open the temple. So if they were there before the sun came up, they were there waiting for the temple to open up. And as soon as the light hit those steps, what did they do? They went in the temple and they spoke. They, spoke. they went in the temple and they began to teach. Reverses, uh, let's read verses 21 through 23. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, and they found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison uh, truly we found shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when he had opened, we found no man within. You know, verse 23 is kind of funny to me. Verse 23 kind of sounds like somebody come up to him and said, You know what? I got good news, and I got bad news. I'm going to give you the good news first. Man, the prison's in great shape. Man, the prison's safe. Still got that new coat of paint we put on it. Still got the new beds we put in. Man, the prison, it's safe. The prison is good, man. Oh, and the guards. Man, the guards couldn't be happier. We bought them a sausage biscuit from Burger King this morning. They happy as a fat cat. They don't know what's going on. They, they, the, the guards couldn't be better. The guards were good. But the people you put in the prisons, they're gone, you know? I say, give them the good news first and then give them the bad news afterwards. Verse number 24. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. You know what that means? That means they're saying, man, I thought we put a stop to this. 
When we hung that dude on the cross, I thought we put a stop to this. When we threw his apostles in the jail, I thought we put a stop to this. I thought it would stop growing. I thought it would stop getting bigger. I didn't know this was going to get worse. I didn't know this mess was going to get bigger. They thought they had put a stop to it. Verse 25. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. They brought them without violence. They're being very political here because these apostles, they're popular. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. They're being very political. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Now, why did they do this? Why did they do this after they were told not to? I'll tell you why. Because the gospel gave them clarity. How? Here's reason number one. The gospel changed the way they appraised life. The gospel changed the way they appraised life. Look back up in verse 20. Go stand in the temple and uh, stand in the temple to all the people. And speak in the temple to all the people all the words of this life. In the Greek, there are three words for life. The first word for life is the word bios. Bios is my physical life. It's my physical body. It's what you see here. My circulatory system, my bone structure, my breathing, my flesh. This is my bios, my physical life. The next is suke. The next part of life, the next word for life is suke. Suke is your soul life. It's your thoughts, your emotions, your soul life. The last word for life in the Greek is the word zoe. Zoe means the uncreated eternal life of God. The uncreated, eternal life of God. And guess which word for life was used in this verse? It was Zoe. Uncreated, eternal life of God. When we think of this life, what do we think of? Our calendar? Our bank account? Our portfolio? Our retirement? Our mortgage? When we think in terms of this life, that's what we think of. And so when we do that, we think of this life as primary and the next life as secondary. I'm here to tell you today that the apostles switched it. For them, that life became the primary one and this life became the secondary one. They lived for the eternal. They got to the point where that life was valued more than the life that they were currently living in. And they began to live for the eternal. They had changed the appraisal of their life. The second reason is is, uh, their allegiance was to God. The gospel gave them clarity because their allegiance was to God. Verse number 29 Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather 
than men. Now, this word obey in this verse is very interesting, too. Now, we know the word obey is throughout the New Testament. However, the form of this word obey is rare. It's unique. It's the word petharchio. Petharchio is only found three or four times in the New Testament. So this is a unique word because it's rarely used in the New Testament. And petharchio means exclusive, absolute, unquestioning obedience. Hebrews 11 is the what? The hall of what? Hall of faith. You go through and you read through Hebrews 11, you're going to read about faith of people that will absolutely amaze you. And these are examples that we are to live by. But you know what everybody in Hebrews 11 all had in common? They all had in common Hebrews 11:16. Hebrews 11:16 says, "But now they desire a better country." That is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Christians, we are pilgrims in this world. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We are citizens of another country. We are pilgrims here. We live for a different country. Now, don't get me wrong. Romans 13 says we need to be subject to the higher powers. We need to be subject to our authority. Even Jesus himself said, render under Caesar's that which is Caesar's. But when it comes down to it, we are to obey God rather than man. Because he is our final authority. He is whom we have our allegiance to. And then the gospel gave them clarity because of the truth they had affirmed. The truth they had affirmed. Verse number 28. Second part. Get a sip of water. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Let's just stop right there. Man, if that could be said about us. They meant that as a criticism, but if you ask me, it sounds like a compliment. They have filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. Y'all heard of that church, Chesbro Baptist Church? You know what they have done in their community? They have filled that community with their doctrine. That doesn't sound like a com complaint to me. That sounds, doesn't sound like a criticism to me. That sounds like a compliment. We should be lucky if people say that about us. We have filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. And then verse 28 continues. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They said, you guys are intending to bring that man's blood upon us. And the apostles looked back and said, uh, yeah. Um, didn't you ask for that? Back in Matthew chapter 27, didn't you say to Pilate, let his blood be on us and our children? You asked for it, buddy Rome. You asked for it. <clears throat> you got it. Three verses 29 through 33. And then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, 
And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Let me give you a truth about this Bible. God's word does not return void. There's power in every chapter. There's power in every verse. There's power in every word. There's power in every syllable. There's power in every letter. God's word does not return void because this is a breathing, living, alive book. It does not return void. That's why Peter's words cut them to the heart. It cut them to the heart because they were under conviction. If you have a problem, if there's any one thing in this book you have a problem with, and you say, oh, well, that's outdated. That shouldn't be in there. They should update that. I have a problem. I like, I like everything in the Bible, but I have a problem with this right here. You know why you have a problem with that? Because it cuts you. It cuts you. That's why you have a problem with it. Because the word of God is going to have an effect on you. It's gonna, it has an effect on everybody. Whether that effect is positive, whether that effect is negative, it's going to have an effect. You walk in a place holding a Bible, watch people's reaction. They're going to react. They're not going to just gloss over it. They're going to react to you. It's going to be positive or it's going to be negative, but they're going to react. Truth number three this morning. This is for people who follow an unstoppable God. Here's truth number three. God determines their validity. God determines their validity. There's a man here in Acts chapter 5 whose name was Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a very famous and respected and honored Jewish teacher. Not only is Gamaliel mentioned in the word of God, Gamaliel is mentioned in the Jewish Mishnah. He's mentioned in the Talmud. Gamaliel was a very well-respected, well-known Jewish teacher. In fact, the Bible tells us that Gamaliel was the person who taught the Apostle Paul. Now, in the Talmud, uh, it says that Gamaliel had an impudent student. Uh, some people say that this impudent student was Paul. Now, this is consistent consistent with Gamaliel and Paul's relationship because even though, of course, he was Saul at the time before he was saved, he was Saul. When Saul uh, studied under Gamaliel, he studied under Gamaliel, but he kind of he deviated from his teachings a little bit because here in this passage of Scripture, Gamaliel's, he's teaching a little bit of tolerance, just a little bit, just a little bit of tolerance towards the Christians. But Saul, he went the other way. Saul was killing them and throwing them in jail and busting their families up. And so, you know, Paul kind of went the other way from Gamaliel. And so, but regardless of that, Gamaliel had a reputation. He was well honored. He was well respected. Let's read verse number 34. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. He's saying, I, we need a sidebar. 
We need a sidebar. Take these apostles, push them back a little bit, and let's us have a discussion. Let's us have a little sidebar here. Verse 35. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thetis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. And after this rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. He's saying, hey, y'all remember, Gamaliel said, y'all remember Thetis? Thetis tried this, and uh, he was killed, and all his followers were scattered. And y'all remember Judas of Galilee? He come about at the time when we were being taxed. Judas of Galilee tried this same thing, and guess what? He failed too. Gamaliel is trying to tell these people, look, this problem is going to take care of itself, guys. This problem is going to take care of itself. Verse 38 and 39. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. Now, the first part of Gamaliel's point is not entirely true. It's not entirely true. There are other faiths and other religions, false religions, who have, that have stood the test of time. They've, they beat that test. So what Gamaliel says, the first part of that, is not entirely true. There are many false religions that have stood the test of time. But the second part of what Gamaliel said, there is truth to that. And the truth is, God can be opposed, but he cannot be stopped. God's church can be opposed, but it cannot be stopped. God's word can be opposed, but it cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. It is unstoppable. Why? Because we have something not made of men. I don't have a book made of men. I have a book made from God. That's why it cannot be stopped. The devices of the people are of none effect. At the same token, God doesn't need mine and your help. God doesn't need mine and your help, but he includes us. He includes us. God is doing something and he, he uh, invites us to get involved. Verse number 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. You know when it says they beat them here? You know what that means? That means uh, 40 lashes save one. That means 39 stripes. That means they beat them with the cat of nine tails. This is the same torture that Jesus endured. So it didn't say they, they beat them like they took a switch and got them on the legs a little bit, teach them a lesson. No, they beat them with the cat of nine tails, 39 lashes. Same torture that Jesus endured. Verse 41, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for his name. 
That's that appraisal that I was talking about. Will they appraise the other life better than this one? Too many times we make the mistake, we do, not just y'all, put myself in here too. We make the mistake of thinking of ourselves too highly. I earned this award. I earned this accomplishment. I did this. I did that. I'm worthy of it because I did the work and I earned it. We think too highly of ourselves. These apostles, they thought, man, they beat us with the cat of nine tails, 39 stripes. That was the same thing they did to Jesus. We're not worthy to suffer the same way Jesus did. We're not worthy of the same punishment that they gave Jesus. They were saying they weren't even worthy of the same punishment that they gave Jesus. They walked away from this going, man, this is unbelievable. This is awesome. I didn't think that we were worthy to do that. But they, they, they thought they weren't worthy to do that. But they, that's how they walked away from that. Let's read verse number 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus. They were told to stop, and they kept preaching. They were locked up, and they kept preaching. They were beaten, and they kept preaching. They kept speaking the gospel. They kept, they, they, they kept, they kept on doing it. Why? Because let me tell you why. Ultimately, let me give you this truth. Ultimately, every knee will bow. Every knee is going to bow. Every knee will bow in either humble submission or in broken confession. Why will every knee bow? Because me and you serve an unstoppable God. 